Welcome to Pivotal. I'm Hayat Gallo, Corporate Vice President for Commercial Solution Areas at Microsoft. I work with customers around the globe to transform their business through technology. At the center of every transformation are people who give technology its purpose. They are the ones who spark visionary ideas for leveraging technology, and they have the drive to push them forward for their business while empowering others. We like to talk about technology. I love to talk about it. And we often forget the heroes behind technology and transformations. You, we forget you. And that's what I want to talk about through Pivotal. SOS Children's Villages is an international NGO focused on helping families to prevent child abandonment, providing loving homes for children who lack parental care, and empowering children to reach their full potential. Founded after World War II, SOS Children's Villages raised money to build villages where children could grow up in a stable, family-like setting with a supportive community. More than 70 years later, they now work in 138 countries and territories and operates more than 540 villages. Their work has impacted an estimated 13 million people. Today, we're speaking with Ahmed Mihaimid, SOS Regional ICT Director of Eastern and Southern Africa. Basically, what I do, I have to conduct field visits. I go to our country offices, I go to our field programs, and then I engage with different co-workers, with community members, because this is what helps me into designing technology solutions and interventions that support them into improving their business processes if they are working in SOS or to improve their life if they are a member of the communities that SOS supports them. Ahmed tells us how an experience in Malawi a few years ago highlighted the need for technology. So I've taken a travel to Malawi. Uh, it's a country in the Southern African part. And then we had to drive a quite long drive, somewhere around 180 kilometers, which has taken us quite significant time. We went to a remote community called Ngabu. So in that community, what we found, actually, I found a set of very, very resilient family members. They are gathering from the community, sitting under the tree on a very traditional setup, and then they're learning about how to become better parents. And most of their learning has been around papers and then education about how to really like take care of your families and even mainly through drawing, through posters. And it was quite amazing for me to see that some of them, they had to take public transportation for some 30 minutes, one hour to just attend these parenting classes. Now, that picture has been always in my mind. And I was just like, we need to go and start from these guys because I've asked them, I talked to them, like, how is it with your phones? Would you be willing to do something by your phone? And of course, we had a, I had a translator because they didn't speak English. So the translator was in between and I was just explaining this to them. And then I could see the spark on their eyes. They were just like, yes, this would be very helpful for us. Not that we don't want to come here, but this will help us to continue the conversation and the dialogue. It's interesting to see how you need to deeply understand who you're trying to help so that you can actually inform the right tools and the right innovation to deeply help them. And as you can see, those students were eager learners. Ahmed has worked for SOS Children's Villages for 16 years, focusing on designing technology solutions to support their community programs. So when the interest in investing in digital technologies came up, Ahmed was ready. 
the whole idea of Rafiki, uh, it came through a brainstorming session across different stakeholders in the organization. Rafiki is a digital care assistant chatbot used by SOS Children's Village's child and youth care practitioners. The end user writes questions by either typing or speaking, and Rafiki provides an answer, which may contain links to more resources so the user can expand their knowledge. A few years ago, there was a fever about digital transformation in corporates, in nonprofit world. And what our organization wanted to do differently was we want to do a program beneficiary-focused digital transformation. Uh, we have been doing a, quite a lot of IT projects and IT services within our different offices. But then when we came to reflect about what would be the future of the digital transformation, we wanted to look into it centric to the program, to the core work that we are doing. So what have happened at that time is um, we held design thinking workshop, which was supported by different partners. Microsoft was one of them. NetHub, which is an international consortium, Accenture. So a group have gathered actually like from different levels. It was people who are coming from the field, people are working in country offices, regional offices, senior leadership of our organization. And then this is here where we came into four main ideas about doing digital transformation projects that touch directly the children, the communities which we are supporting from SOS Children's Villages. And Rafiki was one of those uh, results from, from that design thinking workshop. This design thinking workshop centered around children and caregivers and kept them top of mind throughout their discussions around digital transformation. Out of this design workshop came a central question. We were just like, what can we do to contribute to improve the care and the learning and development of the caregivers and the parents, which SOS is supporting? This focus is critical. Asking from the very outset... What is the specific need that needs to be addressed with this technology investment? They thought practically about the parents and caregivers' busy lives. We have been factoring different things in our minds. Our parents who are supported by our programs, they are very busy in their life. They are taking care of quite a number of children. They have to look after making decent income to be able to sustain their family economically. And this leaves very little time for them actually like to learn and develop. And then it came also during the time that the COVID was hitting in there where with all the issues related to the restriction of movement, the lockdowns and so on, there was not enough opportunities of gathering the members of the communities and then educating them about how to be a better parent. So this was the whole idea of Rafiki. It was just like, we want to create an app which basically loads a significant amount of knowledge and a knowledge in different cross-cutting areas for parenting. We wanted an app that basically teach parents issues related to child protection, issues related to behavior modifications, mental health, and so many other areas. Ahmed took every detail very seriously, including naming this digital assistance app. Our idea of Rafiki as an app, it has to be a companion for the parents. It has to be something that's available at their fingertips 24-7. And the fact that actually like we had this workshop with members from the communities in, in East Africa, we were looking for a name. In the beginning, Rafiki wasn't named as Rafiki. There was another name. But then we're just like, well, if we're thinking of an app to become a companion, 
for the caregivers, it means then we need a friend for them. And then Rafiki is actually it's a word. Kiswahili is the common language that is spoken in, in East Africa, which actually means my friend and my companion. Those who watched The Lion King, they were just like, well, there is Rafiki also on that side who has been very knowledgeable and very wise person. And this is here where we're just like, well, eventually, uh, well, Rafiki would be that knowledgeable wise companion and friend for the communities, not only in East Africa, but all over the world. So this is how kind of the journey of coming to the name Rafiki have evolved. As a parent, and I'm sure for many of you, you've watched The Lion King, you've read The Lion King, I have with my kids. So I thought it was pretty cool to see Rafiki being the name of this application. Ahmed explains about the convening of the SOS Children's Villages Working Group in East Africa and how they began shaping and prioritizing the content for their digital care app. We've gathered and then we were just like, let's create kind of a table of content. What do we want to educate the parents in the community about? So we started from that point actually of saying, okay, well, we've got all these areas where we would love the parents in our communities to be knowledgeable about, but then what we will do is that we will do a prioritization. As a child care organization, child protection and child safeguarding is one of our key pillars that we are looking after. So that was very, very visible for us that that's something that we would need to do to put priority for it. So we started by focusing on child protection and then we started in a dialogue with some of our community members of like, what would be the priorities for you? And then we talked also with social workers, with field workers, those who are in direct interaction with parents in the community. And we've got from this, like the list of, as I said earlier, like we've got around 30 or 40 topics approximately, which all of them are important. But then we understood that we will not be able to cover everything when it's just an idea and it's a pilot project. So this is where we came and we said, okay, fine, let's let's do the prioritization based on the, on the common needs that are coming to us in our offices. And this would have helped us actually to prioritize few topics. Child protection was a big focus, and so was behavior modification, which is quite a common issue for many parents in the region. Why is that? Because we from SOS, we are advocating for better care, better support for the children, avoiding violence, avoiding corporal punishment. And this is where we're just like how we can educate the parents about positive ways of parenting, how they can be better parents in terms of avoiding the traditional practices, the wrong practices in the communities. Mental health was a big thing. Many of the caregivers, many of the communities, they face loads of pressure, day-to-day pressure from the underprivileged situation that they are in. So just like how we can support them with this. And then the COVID came also with a huge mental health pressure across the whole world. So that was another component that we were looking into. And can you imagine how important those tools became for caregivers, especially when crises like COVID arise and create major, unprecedented stress in parenting? Having educational resources on an app not only saves parents' time, but also supports social distancing. And so as we were looking into the rest of the issues like stress and anger management, self-care, self-development, all together where we wanted to have a good balance. We wanted the parents to look in a better way after their children, but they wanted we wanted them also to look after themselves. And basically they look into the issues of the stress management, the self-awareness and so on and so on on those issues. It's actually quite interesting to see how this really helped parents being different parents and really find a balance to take care of their children in a better way. 
Now, one of the critical questions when you think about app development is what platform do you build this on? To answer this question, you need to understand who your audience is, what devices they use, and what constraint they could be under. Because of the desire and the need to reach community in remote villages, it was critical for Ahmed that Rafiki be an app that is accessible on a phone as opposed to a website or program requiring a laptop or desktop. You know, it's amazing the way this guy is designing his app. I'm like, I'm like I hope every PM at Microsoft would do this. The way he understands his audience is awesome. When we were looking into how do we design the app, we were very cautious about what are the limitations to ensure that it works on the field level. The digital divide, it's all over the world. I think the COVID situation have exposed even the weakness, even in the global north, not only the global south. But we were very cautious about whatsoever we're going to design, it needs to work with the majority of people. Now, looking from African context, mobile phone penetration is quite high compared to the penetration of computers. You may go to any community and you will find people who have phone. But on the other hand, you may not have people who have computers or proper access to fiber optics, ADSL line and, and so on. That was one thing. The other thing where we were reflecting on also power is a problem. Electricity by itself, it's not the most common in every community. So Ideally, the people would use the app to learn, which learning takes time to read, to understand, and to reflect, and so on. So we needed something also that works also with less power and energy consumption on, on that side. Now, the last part for us was, how do we want this app to work on phones? Would it be the featured phones, or would it be the smartphone? We were just like, well, the featured phone might be more common, not anymore, because nowadays, I mean, there are many manufacturers of affordable smartphones, which somehow, I mean, like it's increasing into the hands of the population in Africa. With all those considerations in mind, the Rafiki app had to work independent of these common barriers. We don't want fancy phones that has this X amount of gigabytes of storage, this size of screen and this type of processor. We're just like, it needs to work on a simple smartphone. And this is how we would ensure that it will work very well. Our next reflection was, how about those who have tablets? Will it only work into the phones or would it work on the tablets? And even those who would be able to access computers through different computer community setup and whatsoever it is. So this is where we created our app on kind of a web-based platform. We were just like, if you want to access it, if you've got a browser, you will be able to access it. And then we are independent. If the browser is on the computer or on the tablet or the phone, it's just going to work. And then we have taken the whole processing to the server side where basically the end user will just get the results. So this is here where it would be by far much simpler for us. And for us, this has been like a quite game changer because the penetration would be much higher through these things. The how question was answered. A web app accessible with any browser. But then what content do you put on the app? Ah, content, it seems very simple. And yet Ahmed walks us through all the different elements his team needed to consider as they built their first version of the app to pilot. From all the topics which they have identified, we created this content uh, task force who we were saying, okay, who is experts in mental health? Who is expert in child protection? Who is expert on this and that and so on? And then what we have agreed that, okay, we're gonna split the work among the network and then every expert will have a target of questions and answers that they have to develop. So we went ahead and they started to produce content on their side 
And then we start to load it on the system and run kind of a first test. And as much as excited we were, as much as we failed immediately when someone started to ask questions differently, because they have been focused on loads of theories. What is this? What is that? What is this? What is that? And they were just like, no, it's not only the what, it's the how. The people that would be quite interested to know how to do things. Huh? How can I positively discipline my child? How can I address sexual reproductive health? How can I do good about this? And how do I do about that? So they went back and then they had to go another round of content development where we had to do a good balance between the what and the how in terms of bringing their knowledge. To that level, things were quite cool. Things seem to be moving along. But then Ahmed and his team ran into another practical challenge. Then we had a run to test the content. It worked well, but then what we found out from our African context, some of our African countries, they will speak in simple sentences, other they would love to speak in long sentences. And this is here where we're just like, well, the AI performance is not yet there with these long sentences on those ones. So what we need to do is we need to create a new content now, which basically we need to reformulate the same answers for different questions. So one time I will ask it this way and the other will ask it that way until kind of the AI performance will pick the most suitable answer and says, yes, this is, I have a high confidence rate in this answer. Let me pick that one. So that was our third round of the content. Their final phase of content creation centered around FAQs. Many of us have come to rely on the FAQ section of a website. It saves times and often quickly answers our questions. But for SOS family, the FAQ section was serving an even greater need. We might be in a situation that we are dealing with users who are with lower literacy level and lower digital literacy level. So this is where we came and we said, okay, fine. We need to prioritize and have frequently asked questions, FAQs in every topic, which basically will educate the users how to ask the questions. They will see that it has to be simple, straightforward with keywords. And then based on this, when they ask their own question, things will be okay. Now, this is here where we felt like, all right, now we're good. Let's run a reality check of our product. Now we feel like there is enough content that we can go and test it with users. One thing that struck me was how thoughtful Ahmed and his team were in determining how to create content for this audience. He knew there was not one size fits all approach here. They also decided that they needed to collect data and feedback to improve the app and make the content more relevant for each parent. The approach they landed on was incredibly agile and made possible by technology. It was our new experience in SOS with the AI. Uh, we were kind of into an experiment mode where we wanted to collect as much as possible data that helps us to assess how good is the product, how beneficial it is for the users. On the other hand, I mean, like we have been very cautious about data protection, privacy of the users. So what we have been doing all through is we wanted to strike the right balance between collecting enough data to help us improve our product. Yet on the other side, we don't violate the privacy of our users in there. We were selling the project to the whole SOS world of like, this is the tool which you would be able to ask anything around those specific topics. And we didn't want to send a signal like, well, we're watching what you are doing on your side. So when we came to design the app, we were just like, okay, now we need to look into two different ways of designing the app. We want the users to ask their own questions. But then on the other side, we want to educate the users about very critical questions through a set of frequently asked questions. So what happened is 
we created a content network. So experts in SOS who would be looking after developing detailed content. And then with those ones, we were just like, let's prioritize. What are the top five or 10 questions per each topic and subtopic that you would be interested to educate our users about? Now, what we have been doing is that basically we would be taking counts of those frequently asked questions because then this is here where it's quite flat. We don't have to start tracing this and that with it. That was one thing. Ahmed tells us more about how they use Azure Cognitive Services coupled with Power BI to improve the relevancy of the content that was being served up to the users. When the users would they ask their own questions, we wanted to empower them to give us feedback. How did it work? It's common in AI projects. I mean, you would ask the, something about mental health or child protection and then Possibly it would give you an answer and says, well, the weather is going to be rainy in Nairobi today. And this airway we wanted like, okay, please, you need to hit a button for us that says it's helpful or it's not helpful. And this has been a quiet game changer for our users. They were very happy. They were just like, well, our voice can be heard. And they have been really asking. So when I say it's not helpful, you guys, you know about it. And they were just like, yes, of course, it comes to us. Not only that, it even asks you why it is not helpful. Do you disagree with the answer? Did it give you a wrong answer? Do you want more information or you want to write anything? And this is basically what we pick on our side. And then it goes to our content network who will be working on continuous improvement of the product. Of course, we linked our Azure cognitive services and our knowledge bases in the background with the Power BI. So we get a quite nice visualization because this is how also we explain in simple language to our program teams to our management, how much is the usage, what are the focus areas, what are the hiccups, bottlenecks that they need to focus on improving. So I've been producing very nice reports that we made available to the program development team of saying, well, you can even access it by yourself without having to trace the individuals. And this is here how we managed actually to strike the balance between getting quality feedback, visualizations of the progress, and then also respecting the individual privacies. The right data and AI tools helped refine the content creation process, providing valuable real-time data to Ahmed and his team, bringing the what and the how of this process together. Stakeholders and program developers are able to easily absorb and analyze the process of Rafiki's development as it unfolds. When we presented the idea to our program experts, they were just like, this is really cool. We want to be part of this. And then we got the famous question, the content. And that was kind of the showstopper in the beginning, which we successfully managed to overcome. So we held a workshop. We brought people who are very experts in programs and they were just like, I need content from you. And then they start looking to each other of like, what kind of content you need? And then I just like content, which comes on a, bite size, something basically condensed that I can give to a user. They will learn something without boring them that they have to read lots of things. And then they started to look to each other and just like, yeah, we've got this training manual. We have this facilitator guidelines. And they're just like, uh-uh, we need knowledge, purely knowledge. And we need it on digital format. And when we started kind of to show them example of how does it go into the Azure Q&A maker and so on, they were just like, oh, no, that we don't have. We don't have. And then I was just like, all right, that is then the core for this project to take off is we need to start building a content. And so Ahmed takes this new app into the field. His first stop in Gabu, Malawi, for a process he described as the reality check. So the reality check for us was we'll take the end product. We will go to a small sample of our potential users 
and then we are going to train them and then we're going to test how is their feedback. And it was quite heartwarming to see that community as well as many other communities where we invited them to be part of this reality check. Everyone was super positive. And even at some stage, they're just like, no, come on, we need more knowledge. I mean, like we have exhausted already all those things. We need other areas. Now we have taken that positive feedback to the two parties, to our software development team, as well as to our content development team. And they're just like, guys, this is the feedback as technicians and as software developers. Uh, they were facing this and this and this. They need this to improve into the interface. And the other side, I mean, like for the content contributors, we're just like, guys, there is a quiet need on those areas. Please inject more content. Go back work more on this content and those are additional areas that have been more prioritized than the other part. Now, with this approach, I mean, like, we managed to build a very nice product that serves the end users because sometimes when you are far away from your end of your end users, you may end up by designing something from your own perspective and then they would look at it and they were just like, well, it's good, but this is not what I need. And this is here where we have been making sure that the users have been constantly put on the center of this project. I'm just reminded here of how closely this mirrors best practices of product management. They are running a flywheel to constantly improve their app. Creating a digital assistant app that is accessible, practical, and useful for parents and caregivers across Africa seems like an enormous task which only grows. The more you explore the data and listen to feedback, the more opportunity you get for the software and content development teams to iterate. Ahmed's team ultimately selected three countries for the pilot program, Malawi, South Africa, and Nigeria. First, they had to vet the app with skeptical SOS country directors who initially questioned whether the app would succeed. But we have got kind of bits of the south, bits of the east, and the, and the, and, and the west as well. Now, through this journey, what we have learned is we've learned that there are contents which are quite flat to everyone. If we're talking about children's rights, it's children's rights everywhere. It doesn't matter which country it is. But then when we talk to some countries in different cultural society consideration, they were just like, how can we inject specific messages that match our culture and it match our local realities? So basically, we are trying to correct, underline, and improve things in there while also becoming culture, religion, whatsoever it is within our context sensitive. And we're just like, all right, good. So now that would be the next homework for us with the content is basically what we need to produce is we need to produce localized content. Or basically, we will take the content that is being developed kind of on a regional level, and then we give it to the country office and we say, okay, please, can you go and scrutinize and make your adjustments and make sure that it match the reality on your side? Because working with communities can be very sensitive. We may come and we have common understanding about something, but for those specific communities, this is a taboo. And that's not the way to address it. So it may be a risk by itself on the project that the people will say, ah, you know what? This Rafiki is trying to influence our communities. They are trying to influence our children on a negative way, whatsoever the perspective would be. So that uh, cultural sensitivity was a good learning for us that we want to make sure that the local teams, the country office team, they would look into these things. That was one. The other thing is that some of our community members were challenging us. They were just like, guys, this is really cool, but it's in English. Can this Rafiki talk to us in our languages? And then this is here where we're just like, okay, um, there would be international languages that possibly it will work, 
But the request actually came to us from one of our country offices. It's our country office in Somalia, where it was like, we want to do this in Somali, which is not part of the international languages. Ahmed and his team embraced the challenge. We told our country director and our country team, look, we're going to make an experiment. It's an innovation. And if you don't fail, then you don't innovate. Would that be okay for you? And they were just like, fine. So we have taken the challenge to our headquarters in Austria, who have taken it even with a Microsoft partner. And we're just like, let's now work hard into producing a localized version and then a translated version as well. So this experiment has been ongoing for some time. Uh, we're seeing quite promising results already. We haven't finalized upon it, but that for us was kind of the next challenge. What we would foresee for the content is you open Rafiki and then you get the map of the world and then you will be able to select the country and then basically it takes you to customized, localized, translated content that basically serve the need of those communities in those countries. During his field visits, Ahmed and his team found that communities were coming together to share the app and learn. Now, an interesting thing which we have experimented, actually, like when we were doing our monitoring visits on the fields. So going back to the same community uh, in Malawi, uh, what we found out that some of them, they are very eager, actually, like to share their phones with their neighbors. So it's not like something that is restrictive to those who are privileged to have phones or tablets. And then what they're doing, actually, they are, have set a very community-centric setup in the afternoons where they would sit around tea or coffee. and They will be kind of an operator of the phone or the tablet. And then they will go through Rafiki and then seven, eight, ten mothers from the community, they will start saying, okay, let's talk about this, let's talk about that, and let's consult Rafiki and see what would happen with those things. From that, actually, like, the part of more community members being curious, okay, can I learn how to use phones and can I learn how to use tablets? So this was actually, like, the biggest plus for us of saying, well, it's not even a very complicated tool to be used. No, it's available, it's affordable, and then Others, they can easily learn it and pick from, from, from that. There has been such positive and robust feedback. Ahmed is getting enthusiastic inquiries, asking when it will be available in more countries and more languages. We are working also for our country office in Italy. They picked also the idea. They were just like, guys, can we get the Rafiki as well to work for us? So Italian is already work in progress. In Africa, there are quite a number of languages, international languages kind of. So there is the English, French, but then we have also Portuguese. We've got Spanish and then we've got Arabic. So what's actually is happening is we've got queue of country offices who speaks all these languages saying like, guys, when are you going to have Rafiki in Portuguese? When are we going to have this in Arabic and so on and so on? So we're just like, let's finish with the Somali experiment. We want to do the French because that one would be kind of an easier one since we've got quite a number of countries in Africa who speaks French. And then we will move to the Portuguese immediately and then we will go after this to, to the Arabic. So it's work in progress uh, for now. It's basically the focus is in the Somali, Italian and then French. It's already on our plan for this year. As for what's next for Rafiki, there are big plans for 2023. So two things mainly. I mean, like the first one is we want to reach out more uh, countries, communities where SOS is working with Rafiki. So we've already set plans that we want to reach somewhere between additional 10 to 15 countries to, to use Rafiki. That's one. The other one, it's our next level from Rafiki. I mean, Rafiki now it's basically focused on parents, on caregivers, adults. But around mid of last year, we were just like, hey guys, mobile app, technology. That's the thing that we need to go for young people. 
And in SOS Children's Villages, we do support young people a lot. We have programs that are purely focused on youth empowerment. And we were just like, let's give it a, a thought. And instead of just us talking, we brought a group of the youth who are supported from SOS from four or five countries. We brought youth from Zimbabwe, from Kenya, from Sudan, from Nigeria. And we we're just like, hey guys, this is Rafiki. This is what it does for the parents. Would that be helpful if we do something for you? It was just an excitement for them, just like, this is exactly what we need. Because for now, we have to rely on information that's given to us by our peer friends. We're not sure if those information are reliable or not. And the other thing, I mean, like we as young people, we've got our own complications that we're not comfortable to speak to adults. But if you tell me like, I'll be able to speak to an app, which will give me proper direction and proper guidance, that would really help us into quite some sleepless night. That was according to their words. They're not waiting. They've already convened a group of young adults to help with content development. We were just like, what do you want Rafiki to focus on? Now help us to do the table of content. For the one with the adults, we used adults to do the table of content. For this one, no, we need you actually to tell us about these things. So they came to us about different things. I mean, they were just like, we need guidance about employability. We need guidance about sexual reproductive health, identity papers, how to start our business, how to end and leave the care of SOS programs, how to become self-resilient. So just loads of things, loads of things. And then they came also again, they were just like, We've got some sensitive issues in our countries. There are some countries which basically they are driven by the tradition, by the tribes, the clans, where they come from. And they're just like, we need to also look into those things. So this would be our plan for this year. We have been already setting a plan to produce a new pilot version of Rafiki for young people. I will be meeting youth in East Africa in a couple of months from now. And then youth from West Africa one month after them, where basically we want to bring the two voices of the continent, the East and the West, into, into this thing to start a new project. So these are our two top hits for Rafiki this year. I can't wait to see how their app for young people comes together. Our world needs more investment in reliable tools to educate and support young people, parents, and caregivers. That is something I very much believe in as a parent. Even in my own world, I think it would be super helpful I may not have the same questions, but I definitely have questions that I would need help with. Overall, I mean, everyone is, is quite positive and happy with it. And then for us as the people in the Global South, we feel also proud. It's kind of our product that we managed to, to build within Africa. And then we are taking it from there here to the world. We went there, we picked our learnings and we were just like, okay, that's quite an emotional moment uh, when you would see uh, the idea that have materialized and then you would see the people that you have promised and that you have managed to keep your promise. And you are able also to see the impact and the change. When we talk to the community members, I mean, it's not only even Malawi, I mean, like our colleagues in South Africa, proactively, they popped up an email for us out of the blues. We're just like, this was the best thing that has happened to us. We were so happy with these things. And then they brought to us using their own way of expression. Yo, yo, wow, this Rafiki is this, is that. And so actually, like, we picked that one and we just pushed the message even to our headquarters. Just like, guys, those who are working on that side, developing Rafiki and those who are supporting it, this is the end result of your work. As much as you would sit far, this is actually like what you're doing from your side. I mean, this is how it reached people and this is how it makes difference in their life and makes their life better with those things. So overall, I mean, it has been quite rewarding experience for us with Rafiki. Very curious now for our next challenge when we go to more communities and 
also more curious the impact on the young people's life because this is here where I would see there is quite big need uh, if we're able to support them in topics like employability, like mental health. I mean, they are going to be self-reliant, self-resilient, and then they're going to go and make the change in their communities as well. I have to say, I just love Ahmed and his team's approach. This is really how you need to think about developing technology that serves people. They just centered around the needs of who they were trying to help, and then they just iterated and tested, got feedback so that they could really be effective in what they were providing. I just love it. In this case, they build an app that helps support parents and caregivers through localized education. It allows them to feel less alone, less shame or confusion if they have questions they need answers on, and ultimately, it will help them better parent the next generation. As I was listening to Ahmed, it just reminded me of my old job when I was in engineering. I, I built a growth team, and really the objective there was to create this muscle of experimentation where you don't build a product fully and then wait to get feedback and find out that actually you're not meeting the bar. But when you think about Ahmed, what he did is, at every step, he would go back to the audience, check whether it was a fit. That's what experimentation is about. And that's how you, by the way, save a lot of money in your development process. Because at the end of the process, if you've experimented throughout, you will get the product that is satisfying. If not, you will get a product that disappoints everybody and costs you a lot of money. That's what you want to avoid. And it's what experimentation is so fundamental. And I think Ahmed just did it with such amazing execution. I'm just impressed. And now imagine what Ahmed could do if he were to leverage OpenAI and LLM model. Thank you for listening to Pivotal. I'd love to hear your story and your Pivotal moment. So don't hesitate to follow me and share on LinkedIn. Audience information is also available in the show notes. Our show is produced by Large Media. That's L-A-R-J Media. Special thanks to Lin Yang and our partners at We Communications.